the great Scottish preacher, uh, Robert Murray McShane, they said about him when he stood in the pulpit, <clears throat> before he spoke a word, people would just start to weep. It's never worked for me, but <laughs> I just thought I would try that. I gave you like about two or three seconds there to see, is anybody crying there? Any tears in your eyes there at all? No, it never, never has. I'm not Robert Murray McShane, though. I guess that's why. But it reminds me of, um, yeah, the Word of God. So I read uh, your, your vision up here, and I kind of jotted it down. I love this. Uh, to live together as the family of God, demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel of grace to one another, our town, and the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? I love that. Very, very simple. Living together as the family of God, that, that feels right and feels good, doesn't it? Uh, demonstrating and proclaiming, that sounds noble. It sounds like the right thing. The grace of God to ourselves. I'm going to tell you about the grace. Tell you, you tell me, I'm going to tell you, you tell me, you tell me about the grace of God. And then our town, I, I love that too. You could have said city or, or, or metropolis or region, or, but, but the idea of town makes a lot of sense to me. It's a hometown. And then the world also. I, I love that. So I want to be clear when I start off here. I'm, I'm going to be brief. I have much more to say than I can say. So I may at some point in time just like stop in mid-sentence and say we're going to go to the table, right? I have a lot more to say than I can than I have time to say. Uh, but I want to kind of define our roles. So there's the, the story of the, the young rabbi that goes to the old rabbi. And he says, uh, why is it in, De in Deuteronomy, if you go to the text in Deuteronomy, it says that we should put the word of God on our hearts. Why does it say on? Shouldn't, shouldn't it say we should put the word of God in our hearts? And the old rabbi very wisely says this. Our hearts, even in our redeemed state, are hard. We, we cannot put the word of God in our hearts. We can put the word of God on our hearts. And we can pray that the Spirit will break open our hearts so that the Word would fall in and change us. So, so my role today is to put the Word of God on your heart. I can't put it in. His role is to break open your hearts. Maybe you will weep. Maybe you will have a moment today. My hope and prayer is that you are changed. If you went into, and this maybe applies more to ladies than some of you guys, you went into a hair salon, you would say, I'm going to come out different than the way I came in. Something's going to be noticeably different about me. I know some of you guys with lesser hair, I know it's hard to relate to this story, sorry. But uh, you would say, I want to be different here. What does it look like to come into the house of God? So my role is to put the word of God on your heart. His role is to break your heart open that it falls in. Your role, even now, as you listen, is to pray. Pray that he would. My message and my preaching, as even as the Apostle Paul would say, would not be very persuasive with power. It would be from the power of God that's going to do a work here. So your role, even as I'm speaking, is to pray that he would break open your heart and you'd be changed you would be different. You wouldn't just go to lunch, but you would be different when we're done today. So, 
uh, I want to take you to, to, to the book of Ephesians, and, and I'm going to talk through it very, very quickly, just, just the generic uh, overview, and then we're going to dip into the fifth chapter here uh, and kind of walk through some parts and pieces of it. So uh, Ephesus was a city, right? A good-sized city, not unlike the city of Jonesboro, similar in size. There was a big temple there uh, to Artemis, and people would go there to worship. Their stadium, I don't know how big the stadium is here, but there, there sat 25,000 people back in the day. This was a large city of pagans. And the Apostle Paul had gone there. Uh, when you read the, the text and you read all about Ephesus here, you see that he had a deep, deep love for these people. He had gone to Ephesus, and he had preached, and he had taught, and he had shared the good news of the gospel, and people came to faith through the ministry there. And, and over time, the local craftsmen said, hey, uh, this is not going to go well for us, because we sell these little silver statue kind of things to, to Diana over here, uh, about Diana, and our business is going to start declining because people are believing what this guy is sharing. So a riot takes place. He gets booted out, comes back, ends up leaving. But the church is planted. The church is established in Ephesus. Uh, and, and as he writes this letter, by the way, it's not a letter that he's writing that, that he's, he's saying, gosh, there's a bunch of tr trouble here. If you want to read about that, you go read First and Second Corinthians, right? That was like a massively troubled church. But the church in Ephesus was doing okay for the most part. You can see it in the context of the letter. At the end of the day, if you look, if you look in Revelation, you see with the church, the second letter that they got, they got this letter, then they got the other letter in Revelation. In Revelation, uh, the Lord says to them, actually he commends them over quite a few things, but at the end of the day he says, you've lost your first love. So there's a sad ending to the church in Ephesus. But at this point in time, Paul has come back through. He um, had planted the church in Ephesus, had left, was coming back. He knew that he was going to be imprisoned. He knew that was going to happen. So he calls the elders of the church. He says, I'm not going to go back into the city again. That could cause another riot, I'm thinking. He meets them on the beach at Miletus. If you remember the text from Acts chapter 20, he, he meets them on the beach and he's talking about his ministry. Here's what I did here, here, and here. Here's what the gospel of grace did here, here, and here. And then he says to the leaders in the church, he says, watch out for yourselves. You, 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 you leaders of the church, guard yourselves. Watch out for yourselves. And then he says in Acts 20, this is a paraphrase, he says, shepherd the flock of God because he bought it with his blood. Now, if, if I was going to go on vacation, I might say to someone, hey, could you take care of my house? Could you take care of my dog? Could you take care of my car? Could you take care of some of my things? It's not in that context at all. Paul is saying to the Ephesian elders, these people were purchased with the blood of Christ. Shepherd them well. Love them well. Teach them well. Correct them well minister to them well. So he leaves and he goes on as he knew was going to happen. He ends up in a prison in Rome and he gets kind of in letter writing mode, right? So he's writing a letter to the Colossians, he's writing a letter to Philemon, and he's writing a letter to um, the church in Ephesus. All three, it's kind of a package. He's got some delivery guys, who I won't go into the text on that, but they're delivering these letters out there to him. 
and the church in Ephesus gets this letter from him. That's the context. Now, in most of Paul's letters, you'll see, and you see it in Romans and Colossians and Philippians, Ephesians, the first part of letters, when you, when you read letters from Paul, are very doctrinally oriented, primarily talking about this. Here is what Christ did. Here is who Christ is. Here is the power of the gospel. Here's what's happened here. That's the first half of most of his letters, reminding us, here is who he is, and here is what he's done. And then the second half of the letter tends to be, not, off, not, not fully and perfectly, but tends to be more, therefore, you, know, you always get those, those therefores in Paul's letter, right? This and this and this and this and this about the power of the gospel in Christ and who he is. Therefore, and even in that second half, as he's saying, therefore you can, therefore you should, therefore you must, therefore you will, by his power, he is still salting even that, with what Christ has done. So, so it's a both and. And the letter to Ephesians is no example of that. So let me just give you a quick, quick overview just from the very, very first part of it. He says this, the, the first part of, 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 of Ephesians, he says, uh, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. He's reminding them of the redemption that we have in Christ. He says, in him we have obtained obtain an inheritance having been predestined to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. He goes on and on and on. He says, the hope to which he has called you, which are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And then chapter 2, many of you would be familiar with that, just reminding us you were dead. You weren't just kind of wounded on the side of the road. You weren't just, just kind of, um, I think I'm not doing some good things, but I should be doing some good things, and I'm not quite sure, and I think I could kind of pick and choose God. He says, you were dead. You were dead in your, in your trespasses and the sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. And then he says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. He say, he's saying, you were dead. Dead is dead. You were dead, and, and Christ made you alive. God is the one who did the work in you fully. Our pastor at Perimeter likes to say that we lost it all in the fall. Not just part, not just 99.9%. .9%, we lost it all in the fall. Jesus paid it all, 100%. He paid for all of our sins, and then we get all that. His righteousness, his, his perfect life, we get that. He lived perfectly and he applies that to us. And he paid for, for our debt 100% and we get that applied to our lives so, uh, in, in addition to him. And then he goes on to say, but now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So he goes on and on and on for three or four chapters about we are in Christ and here's what he's done. And then he says this in chapter 4. Therefore, this is the first of therefore. Therefore, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he's saying, work, walk in this manner worthy of the calling. You've been called into the gospel, into the life of Christ. You've been, walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So the question for us today is, 
why don't we do that? Why is it so hard for us? If Jesus has done the work, if Christ is resident in you, why is it so hard to work, walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling? I think there's a couple reasons. One, I think, is this. I think we simply tend to forget who he is and what he's done because we are so consumed with other things. Culture out there is coming at you, and by the way, at your children, faster and faster and faster and faster with the ways of the world. Everything from fill in the blank, you've got it, Facebook and Twitter and Internet and cable TV and uh, movies and TV and all, all those things. It is coming at people 24-7. We are carrying it with us in our pocket now, and it is coming to us over and over and over again, distracting you and, and wanting you to be imitators of the world. There are, there are people on Twitter, as you know now, on Facebook, who are they're called influencers. Have you heard of them? They're like influencers. These people kind of get on these things, and there's a short video of this woman or this man, and they say, be like me, do this, be these things. Advertising, TV, radio, all those things are calling you more than you can even consciously imagine to be like the world, be like the world, buy like the world, eat like the world, think like the world, dress like the world, live like the world, do like the world, over and over and over. It is non-stop. It is not stopping. So all that's coming into your brain all day long, and we're wondering, well, why are we not living then in a manner worthy of the calling that we've been called to? It's because we're consumed with these here. And Paul knew, even then, this is before the day of all those things, right? Paul knew that in the world, and again, you think about it, in Ephesus, you've got this great temple, all these things going on, these worship things going on of, of, of Diana, that that was happening there. And he says, you have not been called to that. So he says this, this is chapter 5. And I'm going to read the text to you and make just a few um, comments about it. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, and I'll just stop there, sexual immorality is, is um, rampant, right, in the world. Sexuality is an issue for all of us and for all of them. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're in light, in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and, and true. And try and discern what's pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled, filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the word of God. There is way more here in this text than I can share with you this morning. So I want to bring just a few points to light, and then you can take it. I hope uh, whenever Jeff or ever preaches here, whatever the word is that you're taking at home, you're, you're studying it ahead of time, and also you're taking it home with you. So maybe the book of Ephesians is just a few pages in the Bible. Uh, would, would just be a good read for you this week. And, and by the way, speaking of that, uh, wherever I go and speak, um, I always say to people, I want to encourage you to be in the Word. I want to encourage you to be in the Word. And, and by that I mean this. We, we want you, we as pastors, want you to be in the Word every day. We, we would love to see everyone read through the Bible every year. People say, ooh, that's a lot. And I say, well, it's about three pages a day. It's not very much. We encourage you to be in the Word. The Word of God resting in your heart and on your mind will change you if you will be in it over and over. So this passage is well worth studying in a much deeper level than we're going to get today along with the rest of Ephesians. So just a couple points I want to make from here. If you'll look at uh, just the first, first couple of verses, therefore be imitators of God. So the idea here is the world is saying, imitate us, imitate us, imitate us. God, Paul is saying here, be an imitator of God. What does that look like for you to say, what would it look like for me to be an imitator of God? You would look strictly and straight up at the person and work of Jesus. When we fell in the garden, the idea behind the fall was what? Was that... Satan came and said, hey, surely you're not going to die if you take it through the knowledge of good and evil. Surely you'll become like him. Our temptation in the fall was to become like God, not to be an imitator of him, but to become like him. And from that day forward, man's aim has been to become God. So when people have issues and challenges in marriage, we do a lot of marriage counseling. I say, what does it look like? What does it look like? Who's having power over who? Who wants to be God over the other person? As opposed to that, God says, hey, do you want to be me? Do you want to be God? He says, how about this? I'll become man. I'll become man. I'll go to the cross. I'll pay the penalty in order that you might become like Christ. The aim of the Christian life is to become like Christ, to be an imitator of God. Now, we are beloved children, he says in the first verse. And he says, and walk in love as Christ loved us. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. What would it look like in your life if you would say, I'm going to repudiate being a power broker in whatever the situation is, being God, being on the throne, 
And I instead am going to look at what does it mean to become like Christ. So becoming a Christian, by the way, is not just that you have prayed the prayer and walked the aisle. It's not just you said, hey, I'm going to make him Lord in my life. It's not even that you have said, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Those are all good and nice things and part of. But becoming a Christian is, is saying, I want to become like him. So what is he like? He is a fragrant offering and he is a sacrifice to God. That means he is the one who came to set down his rights, to lay down his rights, to love and to serve and to give to other people. And it sounds like on one level, that doesn't sound like fun, right? Would that be hard work? Would, would I enjoy that? Would that be a good thing for me to lay down what I have in order to serve and love and give and be a fragrant offering? And we would say, yes, if Christ is in you, then as you begin to do that, you will experience joy. You will experience the joy of salvation. You will experience the joy of service, the joy of giving. Jeff just talked about giving up here. The, 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 the joy of being in Christ, you will experience that, and it will be real to you, and you will have a passion. You will become more addicted to that, so to speak, than addicted to the things of the world. But there's a community practice that goes around that. So he says that here, to become a fragrant offering, and to be, be a sacrifice to God. Now he says down in verse 15, he says, um, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. No one would disagree with the fact that the days are evil. The question is how will you make the best use of your time? What's the purpose? Why are we here? It's not just to do church. It's, it's not also just, just to be in some profession. It doesn't make any difference if you're president or the dog catcher or a garbage man or, or a, a doctor or a lawyer. It doesn't make any difference what your profession might be. That is a call of God on your life, certainly. But what's, what's the call of the church? What's the call of us collectively here? What's the big picture? What are we trying to do? Because he's saying make the most of your time. You, in general, I would say, maybe above other churches, would be being fruitful and multiplying. I see the multiplication. It's right here, right? I can see it all around me. You're multiplying. So we would say the purpose of the church and the purpose of God's people is to be fruitful and to multiply and focus on that. The world will want to distract you with 18 other things. Do this, how about this, go here, spend this, all these things. We are called to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, we, we multiply certainly by making disciples. You should be sharing the faith with people, believing God's going to do a work in their lives. And we are fruitful by having kids, right? And, and we have to say, my generation and above, we have to say we have been shameful in that area in general. Our, our movement, we would say that we're pro-life, right? We're against abortion, we would say that. But in practice, what have we done? In practice, we haven't had very many kids. So our detractors would say, hey, you say you're against, but you don't have kids. We have to own that. That's something that we, if we're going to make the most of our time, we have to own that, A. And B, we have to remember the scriptural text. In 2 Peter 3, I won't go there because I'm going to be out of time in about five minutes or ten minutes. I'm clear close. 2 Peter 3, Peter's talking about, he's talking about the flood. He's saying, hey, remember the flood thing happened? 
And then he's saying the fire is going to happen when the, when the Lord comes again. So he says, between those two, what type of people should you be? The flood came. You all remember that. You know about the story there. The, the, the fire is going to come. What type of people should you be? And he says you should live godly and holy lives, worship God as you speed up the coming, the return of Christ. That's a loose paraphrase. He says as you speed up. So let me ask you this. Do you think you could speed up the coming of Christ? Let's presume, we don't know the day. Let's presume the day is the year 2121, November 15th. Could you speed that up? Could it be 2121, April 15th? By what you do. We would say yes. This sounds a little spooky, doesn't it? It sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Why? Because we're good Presbyterians. What do we believe? Jesus died for the elect. He died for his people. You see it all the way throughout the Old Testament, right? He doesn't, you get the Jebusites and the Hittites and the, all those other ites out there. He, those are my, he says, the Israelites are my people. You are my people. I am your God. Over and over and over, he selects, he picks, he chooses a group for himself. And he sends the Spirit. Now, he sent Jesus to die for them. We would say Jesus died for his people, for the elect. All of them, and he paid for all of their sin. And what we would say there is this. He paid for all of their sin, and all of them, and it's a defined number. How many is it? I don't know. Is, is it 50 billion? I don't know. But if you, if you think about it, it is a number. How will we get to that number? We will get to that number by having kids and seeing them come to faith and by making disciples and seeing them come. One day, the last person who Jesus died for will be born. And the Spirit will apply the work of salvation to that person. And when that happens, you know what's going to happen? He'll return. I'm telling you that. When the last person receives Jesus, he will return. We're going to take the table here in a minute. We're going to drink and eat. You know the, the one who's not drinking and eating today? Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, said, I won't taste the fruit of the vine again until the kingdom comes. You'll taste today he's not. He longs for that. And he calls his people to be his people, to not live as the world calls us to live, but to live godly lives and be fruitful and multiply. And I know some people cannot have kids biologically. We know that. Those who can, should. All of us, though, should be making disciples. All of us, and, and we can't make, by the way. It's his role. It's our role, even as I began the sermon, to say it's our role to put the word of God on their hearts. Those who are around us in our neighborhoods, somehow put the word on their heart a bit. It can be translated into your own vernacular, however you want to do that, and pray the Spirit breaks open their hearts so that they come to faith so that we have another one for the king, so the king and we will speed up the coming of the Lord. That's our mission. That's, our, that's what we're about here. And it's, a joy, it's not an anxious thing. It's a joyful thing that we're called to be engaged in. 
So, how will we do that? Ephesians 5. Let me go to the very end of this. He says this, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of the time. Therefore, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I think I just explained that. The will of the Lord is for those to be saved who he died for. Don't get drunk with wine that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What he's saying there, by the way, is this. It's not a um, live in a dry county. I know you all live in a dry county. I heard that this morning. I, was, I didn't realize there were still some of those around in the whole world. But I was in Texas. They used to be dry, and then they went wet. And, but anyway, don't, don't be drunk with, with wine. Don't, don't get intoxicated with the things of the world here. Okay? But in, in, in the Greek, it's saying be filled with the Spirit. In other words, don't be drunk on this. Be drunk on this. Be drunk on the spirit. When someone is drunk, if you've ever seen someone who's drunk, they can kind of act like they're, they're out of control. It's not them anymore, right? It's just something kind of acting through them. They're saying things they shouldn't say and doing things they shouldn't do, etc., etc. When someone is filled with the spirit, they're saying things and doing things that are not, it's not coming from them. It's coming from him. It's the spirit of the living God who's doing the work in and through them in order to love. P- people who are drunk with the spirit give. People who are drunk with the Spirit serve. People who are drunk with the Spirit pray. People who are drunk with the Spirit, etc., etc., etc. Those are people, and he says, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, how do you do that? Romans 6 is the text for that. I'm not going to go there. That's a whole other message. Our senior pastor, Randy Pope, has a great message on that. If you ever want to listen online, or Jeff, I'm sure, has preached here already. Romans 6, he's talking about this whole idea of how do you be filled with the Spirit? Well, first of all, know, know what Jesus has done. Remember, remember what Jesus has done. And by the way, on that point of remembering, I encourage you to remember what he's done. This you can read. It's in writing. It's coded, right? He did this with, with Moses. He did this with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You can read this all the way through. But I encourage you to tell your kids this, not just this. Our Jewish friends, by the way, on a Saturday night, every Saturday night, they'll tell the story over again. We were slaves in Egypt, we were slaves in Egypt, we were slaves in Egypt, and we were redeemed. Tell your kids this, but also tell them about your story. Tell them about your life. What has God done in your life? I, I, I can take another long time when I was 20. Oh my gosh. When I was 25, I remember. And then the tw- the, the tw- my 29th year, I can tell you about the amazing things he did. And when we had kids, Dorothy and I have three kids, and when our one daughter, I can tell this, it's a public story, um, our one daughter struggled in high school and attempted to take her life. And I can tell you of those days, and I can tell you about the grace of God in my life, what he has done. He has been gracious, 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 over and over, and he has proven himself over. I testify to that today to you. And you should testify that to your children to that end. Here is what he's done. Remember what he's done. So to know, to consider that you're in Christ, and then to present. And Paul, in many of his letters, he has this idea towards the end of present yourselves, present your bodies, present your lives as living sacrifices, present yourself to him and say, fill me. Is that not a prayer that he wouldn't answer? I'm confessing. Show me my sin. 
He'll answer that one often. He'll show you your sin. Show me my sin so I can repent of it. I'm going to present my body, present my mind, present my, that you might fill me with your spirit. Why, Randy, do you want to be filled? So that I can participate in the coming of the king. I can participate in things of the kingdom. That's what he's calling us to do over and over again. He says it here at the end. He says, be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the hardest thing for us to do. It's particularly for us guys. It's the one thing. We don't want to have no bosses. We don't want to have anybody in control over us at all. But Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus is the one who said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and give myself a ransom for many. He is the one who is saying he submits. So if we want to be like Christ, we're called to submit to one another. And that means giving and loving and caring and listening and being with and sharing and all those things. And if we as a body of Christ will continue to remember what he's done way back, remember what he's done in our lives, and then say, oh God, would you use us? Would you do something in us that only you can do? Would you do something through us that only you could do? He will answer that prayer. And he will continue to grow this congregation both intensively, spiritually deep, individually, collectively, and also with more people coming here. Let's pray. Lord, you're good. Uh, I've done my part by putting the word, your word, on their heart. I'm going to pray even now as we, uh, as Jeff sets the table up, that um, that you will break all of our hearts. We we want to be changed. None of us would say, "Well, I just want to come in the same way." We we want to be changed. We want to be transformed by the power of your Spirit. We 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 want the means of grace to have impacted us. And even as we come to the table now, we want we want that to change us too in a mysterious way that we might uh, be sharpened, we might know that we know that we know the love of Jesus. We are are beloved saints, that we would rest in that and be secure in that, and we would live out of that as we go forth. So help us now, lead us now. We come to your supper by your name. In Jesus' name, amen.